Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hedger University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. Whether you're an instructor, therapist, in the business, or have experienced equine assisted services yourself, we're glad you're here. Join us as we talk about the benefits, the science, to-dos, how-tos, and all of the reasons why what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist Katie King. Welcome back. Today's episode is for everyone out there looking for advice on a startup center. Katie Oakland is with me today, and she is from Bismarck, North Dakota, and she started a center called TR for Heart and Soul. She filed for paperwork to start this center in the winter of 2016. And through her own hard work and sticking to it, she was seeing participants by April that same year. So she has grown that program from four participants then to about 50 today. And she's going to share with us the biggest hurdles that she has found in starting a mostly volunteer operated center while also being a mom of three busy kids. So settle in for some great tips and an encouraging story for those of us that are out there on that getting your center started grind. Enjoy. Hi, Katie. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Let's get started. I think you can just tell our audience who you are and how you ended up here on this podcast. Yeah, well, thanks for the invitation. My name is Katie Oakland. Uh, I live in Bismarck, North Dakota. I work for a adaptive and therapeutic writing center called TR for Heart and Soul. And I also work for the Nueta Hidata and Sanish College. I believe you had Jess. Uh, white plume on here a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. she was a so joy I, to talk um, to. I, yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. And I kind of came into this world, uh, even though we live quite a ways from Omaha, Nebraska, I really came into this world through your, I believe she's your executive director, um, Edie. Mm-hmm. So had you known about therapeutic writing? Had you, how did you get your passion started in all of this? Yeah. So it's been a lifetime dream. I was about 17 years old. So quite a few years ago now, and I volunteered at a program that was run through all true hospital, um, in grand forks, North Dakota. My mom brought me there just, just on a day to volunteer. And she said, I think you would like this. I've always had a passion for teaching and for helping people that do have disabilities. And I love horses. I've grown up showing horses. Now my kids youth rodeo, Um, But she said, I think you'd really enjoy this. So I went there. It was life-changing from that day on. I knew kind of part of my life's mission was to be a part of this work. But obviously when you're 17 years old, you don't have the facility or capacity to, to start something like this. So I kind of searched around North Dakota, but we didn't really have any programs um, that were running year round. There was a program in conjunction with NDSU that was run out of Minnesota right across the border, but they kind of, they were pretty fully staffed with NDSU students and they had a a really great partnership. So that wasn't really an option, Um, but thought about it, always had plans in the back of my head, went to school for child development, special ed um, and elementary education, taught in an all-inclusive preschool as well as K-12. And one day out of the blue, my husband said, you know, I think if you really wanna do this horse thing or whatever, we can look into it. But since it had been in the back of my mind, my whole entire life, I was totally jumped on it. And that moment, that night, I stayed up the entire 
night, like searching, how do you start a nonprofit in North Dakota? Like looking at what you need for qualifications, credentials, et cetera, et cetera. When he woke up, I was like, oh, I, I registered us with the state of North Dakota. We're going to we're going to start. And he was like, what are you kidding? I meant like we could think about it. But um, that was probably that was around Christmas break. Um, that was Christmas break. I want to say 2016. I was yeah on break from teaching, called Edie up and told her that, you know, we could really use some help and we just hit the ground running. That's wonderful. So Edie was kind of your mentor through the first steps of your process. Oh, and still is, still is totally. Yeah, definitely. We went and spent about a week at Hetra over Christmas break. And I don't think y'all were in session then, but just Edie taught us a lot about, you know, what the days look like at tech that you need to start with that sort of thing. And then we applied to become path members, went through what was then the TRI, now the CTRI certification, but uh, we traveled back and forth that year to Nebraska many times, many times to get our practicum hours and just to be in a center, you know, to see the fluidity in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many nuances of just how it functions, let alone, you know, the actual therapy or, you know, adaptive writing part of it, but the, the back barn and volunteers and how all of that runs. So how big is your yeah, center absolutely. now and how long have you guys been operating? Yeah. So that, so if we rewind a little bit, um, we, we started our dream officially applied for, to become a business in the state of North Dakota. That was in December, um, I guess of 2015. So it was probably 2016, January 1st, when we really got started. And then we started a pilot program that April. And we had four participants, two kiddos that had cerebral palsy and two kiddos that were on the autism spectrum disorder. And we had two horses that we were um, partnering with for the work. And it was life-changing. On the second day, there was a mom and her little girl was five years old. And we have a port swing outside of our outdoor arena. And she was sitting in the swing and she was just crying. And I walked over to her after the session. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, isn't this what you expected? Like, is there something we can do different? Like, we want this to be a good experience for you. And she said, I, my daughter has been involved in every adaptive sport there is, but I've never seen her like leave her wheelchair. She just leaves her wheelchair at the ramp, gets on the horse. And I've never seen her leave a wheelchair and be a kid. So kind of that night I told we had quite a few discussions with our board of directors and my family as well. I was like, this has to become a real thing. It can't just be, you know, whenever we have time for it. So that's really when we decided that pilot program had to be more than a pilot program. So that June 1st, we opened up and that summer we had about 20 kids. Now we have, um, during the school year, because I do teach, we're a little bit less. We have in the forties participants that we serve, but in the summer we serve about, um, 50 participants in adaptive riding a week. And then we do a couple camps. Wonderful. So still quite a bit smaller than you guys. Yeah. That's amazing though. Your, so your program effectively was applied for at midnight over Christmas break and you guys were seeing kids by June. Yeah, we had our pilot program April, and then our grand opening was June. Yep. Wow. So talk to me a little bit about 
kind of those first steps. So you guys had to have, um, when you apply for all of that, you had to have a business plan. You know, how did you get some of that, that funding to really get your feet off the ground? So when we kind of started that, um, we were, we were pretty lucky because this was always in the back of my mind. I had owned a, um, preschool and daycare center. So we kind of took a personal financial risk and sold that business to just to pay for all the training, to pay for, you know, missing work, to pay for all of those logistics that, yeah, all of those startup costs. Um, And then we had a really, and still do, a lot of our founding board members are still on. They really believed in the work that we were doing. So we hit the pavement with fundraising. Um, we, we're still lacking a little bit in the grants department. We don't have anybody that's real great at writing grants. So it's a lot of word of mouth and fundraising and community events. Mm-hmm. How many people are on your staff? So we actually only have one part-time, um, one part-time instructor. Everything else is volunteer. So we run on about a hundred hours of volunteer service a week. So all of your, um, like your administration and scheduling and that type of stuff is all probably you or volunteer based. Yep. Yep. It's all volunteer based. And it was 2020 that we did decide to hire a, a part-time person to help just because throughout the pandemic, we were trying to decrease the number of volunteers that were here just to keep everybody safe. And we didn't know what the virus kind of looked like at that time. But after hiring somebody part-time and she's wonderful, we realized how it really benefited our horses, having one person kind of as their main as their main person that could do a lot of the exercise riding. And some of the, the sessions that we host that are a little bit more draining physically and emotionally. Some, sometimes you need someone to co-regulate those horses a little bit too. Absolutely. I think getting them down-regulated and exercised and taken care of too is just as important as taking care of us because they're our coworkers, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, yeah, 2020 was a huge shift for us, not because of what was happening in the world, but just because of some things that we changed. That was also the year that I had previously worked at a wonderful outpatient uh, pediatric clinic doing early intervention work. And I came across an opportunity to work at a tribal college in the equine studies. And they really taught me about the relationship and seeing the horse, you know, as more than a modality and partnering and that everything is based on that relationship. So our horses have really benefited since, since everything we learned in 2020. Yeah. How many horses do you have in your herd there? So we try, we keep at least eight program horses. However, we're really lucky in the fact that we also live on the property and I have three youngish kiddos that horse show and youth rodeo. So they're all trained and ready to go. If somebody gets hurt or, you know, a horse throws a shoe or needs a break or whatever, I try to let my kids horses be, be theirs because they share their their mom and their barn and everything on our facility. However, they're very understanding that these horses might need to help somebody else. And they do. My, my middle son isn't a big competitor in the rodeo or the horse show world. And his horse, his name is Reggie. He's a great, he's a great done quarter horse. We have, we were just talking, he was bringing him in the other day and my son's name is Kiefer. And I said, Kiefer, are you sad that 
we use Reggie because we use him at least five or six times a week that we use Reggie for so many other kids. And he's like, no, I know, I know what Reggie would do for me. So I'm really glad he can help other kids in the same way. So yeah, it's a blessing for everybody. Yeah. Do you ever find that balance difficult? I know a lot of centers, I mean, Hetra, we started in a bar. I mean, we started lots of places, but I mean, at one time we were on our CEO's property, you know, where she lives and in her personal barn with her personal horses. And do you ever find that balance difficult having it be on your property and so close to home? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a balance. Exactly. So some days TR for heart and soul is a little heavier. Some days we're a little heavier. And I think you just really have to stay present in the moment and, and learn to prioritize not only for the year, for sustainability, for your business, for your family. Like you just have to be able to be, be able to fluctuate in the moment. And we just had to make a change. We've had the same schedule for quite a few years. And one of our founding kiddos, I've been seeing her at what, let's see, 6.30 Tuesday night for five years. So, you know, we haven't, we've tried to keep things really consistent for our program. And just recently, um, my kiddos joined swimming and the only time they can get pool time is at six o'clock on Tuesdays. And I was having major mom guilt, not only for my own kiddos, but for the, the little kiddo that comes to TR for heart and soul. And I did call her mom and I was like, is there any other time that we can make this work? Because, you know, we've been doing this for five years, but sometimes January and February, we kind of take off and we get caught up on the books. And I really realized how much I miss of my own kid's life. Cause it is so much after school and, um, when they're home, we're in the barn and the mom was like, totally, like, I totally get it. So I think you just have to be honest with yourself and I'm, and with others as well. And then the balance will just naturally happen. Well, tell me a little bit about working for the tribal college then. So you are an instructor in the equine studies department, right? Yep. In the equine studies. So it kind of started, uh, my, my oldest son, he's 13 now he team ropes. So we would travel up. They have a beautiful facility facility called the healing horse ranch. And it started, we were up there one day for a team roping and I saw helmets hanging on the fence. And my husband happened to be working the shoots for the team roping. And I was just so curious why they, why they had helmets there, because I said, team ropers don't wear helmets. I haven't ever seen one team roper wear a helmet. Like, what are they for? And I wouldn't leave him alone about it. So finally he asked, you know, somebody that worked there at Healing Horse, what are these for? And they said, well, we're trying to start a boys and girls club. And I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. And they were also trying to start some partnerships with um, some of the residential treatment center for drug and alcohol. So I said, okay, that's really cool. So then I just, and then I saw a poster that said the um, Horse Nation, Horse Nation Club at NHSC College. And I was like, well, that's really neat. So I just reached out to one of their instructors and I said, I saw your poster. This is really great. We have um, an adaptive and a therapeutic riding center in Bismarck. It's about a two hour drive, but if you ever want to come or we can ever partner on anything, let me know. And a couple months went by and then they, they responded and said, yeah, we'd love to come for some practicum experience. They had one class. It was um, at that time, it was equine 
equine assisted activities and therapy. So they came and um, of course they loved it just as much as I did. And then we decided that I was going to teach one class on equine assisted services and we were going to offer adaptive riding to the Fort Berthold uh, Indian Reservation on Wednesdays. But the relationship was just built so organically and it's such a need up there that it kind of turned into part-time work. Then we added a couple more classes and a writing class and it, it was really a, a dream waiting to come true. Wow. I love that. So how did the equine assisted, so it's equine assisted services and therapies. Is that what you said it is? We call it uh, equine assisted services. Okay. So, so they, they, go ahead, go ahead. They founded a program with um, my boss, Lori Nelson and Jessica White Plume, and she does equine facilitated psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. At that time she was doing it, but now she's kind of, I think, transitioned to more um, equine assisted learning. So they already had a program and they have a really big natural horsemanship track. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, they have an associate's degree in natural horsemanship. So they saw so many of the students, the things that we were trying to, uh, the things that we were trying to get to in equine assisted learning were just happening organically in the natural horsemanship. So we just had a lot of experiential learning for about the past year to really develop a program that met the needs of the reservation and the students that were entering the program. So so what degree do they exit that program with? They exit the degree with an equine studies degree. Okay. So it can have a focus area in equine assisted services or natural horsemanship. So if they are going to leave with equine assisted services, we really prep them to pass the CTRI examination. And that's our hope that we can have more programs up there, some trained professionals. Very cool. Have you guys seen, or how long has the program been there? Have you seen any of the graduates, you know, move on and and do that process and work in some of the centers up there? So we just, um, we've been going about a year and a half. We've just had our first student leave for an internship. She's working, um, for riding on angel's wings in Lisbon, North Dakota, and it's going great. So we're excited for her to finish up her 25 teaching hours. Um, so she can finish up her certification program. So we're excited that, you know, one of our babies is leaving, leaving the nest. Yes. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) It's a really special program. Um, there's no other tribal college in the United States that offers an equine studies degree at all. So it's, it's really special um, to make those correlations between culture and the horse. And we really focus on trauma-informed, trauma-focused equine-assisted learning. Mm -hmm. So since then, um, TR for Heart and Soul and, and the job at the college, they always balanced well, but they were kind of two separate entities. But now we've been since we have a bigger population in Bismarck than in Partial or Newtown, we've been doing some partnerships with the University of Mary, some of their um, occupational therapy students, some of their counseling students, and some of their education students to serve um, a kind of a trauma-based 
clientele around Bismarck. So we can pilot these programs and then bring them back to the reservation so they're they're ready mm -hmm. to go to work. And I have to say that I'm shocked that there aren't more tribal colleges that have those equine studies degrees. It just seems so natural. And it seems so, like you said, bringing some of those cultural, really culturally just important things to the college and learning about them. I feel like that's really, really important what you guys do there, so. This episode of the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast is sponsored in part by Equiforce. Equiforce is a database that allows you to track every facet of your organization from horse, donor, and volunteer management to scheduling, grant tracking, incident reports, and tracking participant progress too. This is not a one-size-fits-all setup. Instead, Equiforce personally works with you to learn how your facility functions and takes note of your specific terminology so that they can create a unique system to match the needs of your organization. And of course, Equiforce provides an ongoing training and support so that your database can grow with you. Visit them at www.equiforce.com. That's E-Q-U-I-F-O-R-C-E.com. This episode is also sponsored in part by Wooden Horse Corporation and the Equisizer. The Equisizer is a handcrafted, non-motorized mechanical horse used by equine assisted service programs worldwide. The Equisizer requires no electricity, tools, or maintenance and can be used indoors or out for evaluations, warm-ups, stretching, mounting, dismounting practice, and volunteer training, beer, and build confidence with students, clients, and volunteers. It can easily carry the weight of two adults, offering the unique option to ride tandemly. To learn more about the Equisizer, visit Equisizer.com. That's E-Q-U-I-C-I-Z-E-R.com. Yeah, I think it's we are so lucky to have the Healing Horse Ranch as a partnership because that's a big problem in the Midwest, as you know, is, is the weather. You know, if college is from September till early May, how many of those months aren't really usable for horses? So we're able to partner with the Healing Horse Ranch to be able to operate year round. Do they, they have an indoor arena there then? Yep. Yep. They have an indoor arena. I'm not even sure of the, the size, but it's big. It's mm -hmm. nice. It's so clean, well-kept. At home for your center, do you guys operate at a, out of an outdoor arena? We have an outdoor and an indoor riding arena. So we try to stay out as long as we can in the fall. And we try to get outside as early as we can in the spring, which, you know, in Nebraska, but we, um, our indoor arena is a little bit smaller. It's only 120 by 60. Uh, about a, two and a half years ago, we added a sensory trail course and we love the trail course. I, we spend most of our time in the summer. Um, you, I think you, do you guys have a sensory trail course? Yes. Yeah. We just started one. Um, it's so much fun. It's proving to be very fun, but getting all of the horses used to going through that and getting them all desensitized has been a fun and challenging part as well, but it's challenging. all in the name of safety. So yeah. it's <laughs> right. Absolutely. And ours, our outdoor arena is, uh, large and there's no shade. So that's one of the things that we've really added into our sensory courses. Uh, of course there's like natural, um, natural things in the environment, like trees and hills that we love, but then we have bridges and games and things like that but the desensitizing piece that's where the 
balance. Sometimes I, I think about centers that don't have it on their property. Like, how do they do this? Having three kiddos that I can throw on the horse at any time. They're 13, 11, and seven. So I'm like, okay, guys, this is your list of horses after school. And they're like, okay, that's, that's all they know. So they take your little, and it's great. little guinea pig trainers there. Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, kids are just so intuitive that they can read the horses like so much better. Like I would have my clipboard and I'm like, okay, we need to go over this bridge seven times. And Rodney's horse head needs to stay low and he can't look at the birds where kids are like, good boy. Like they're just so (laughs) intuitive and it's perfect. (laughs) Where, so use your kids, which is great and volunteers. So where do you pull all of your volunteers from? Do you have a good volunteer pool there or has that been challenging to find, you know, volunteers that can help you with all those things? You know, we've been so lucky right away. We kind of started, um, it was kind of a cry for help just using social media. Like we're starting this nonprofit kind of trying to get whoever would take a bite to come and everybody kind of started coming for the horses they said they, they love horses. They haven't been around horses since they moved off the farm or whatever, but then they stayed for the kids, you know, they built those relationships and, and they loved our participants so much. So we have kind of a founding, I would say every, every day we have like two or three volunteers that have been with us from the beginning. So they kind of have such a great idea and they run those evenings, but other volunteers that come and go, we work really, really closely with the professors at the University of Mary and Bismarck. It's only about maybe six miles from our facility. So they have a PT program, an OT program, an education program, and a counseling program. So they're constantly sending us students for group projects, for practicums, and volunteer hours. They're at Catholic University. So they do a lot of giving back to the community. So mm-hmm. we stay. Um, we stay really, really full of volunteers because of their generosity. Yeah. That's a wonderful stream to have there so close for you guys. Yeah. So you get started, you have volunteers, you have the horses, you have the facility, then the administrative side of things. How did you choose your board and how did you really get started with some of those things? Yeah, honestly, our board of directors to begin was close friends like we need to have these seven names on this piece of paper to get rolling but since then it's been members of the community that uh, have seen the work or had a child go through and the community has been really good about supporting us like if we're like well we're gonna have we need new board members next year and we need somebody in public service or we need somebody in accounting or, you know, we were kind of lacking in this area as the community um, in Bismarck, man. And it's just really so supportive that people have been able to send us names to, to kind of build that up to where we need it now. That's great. So when you guys first started, I mean, you had talked a little bit about how you made some of those changes as you saw, you know, different holes and things that you needed to fill. So what were some of the biggest changes that you made, you know, after you started that you've made for now that have helped you a lot? Well, hindsight is always 2020, (laughs) right? right? But um, now I would say the biggest change, which doesn't make my heart as happy, but 
is we spend way more time in the office than that first year. That first year we were in the arena like 24 seven with every horse, but now um, we're a lot, we're a lot better about tracking data. Like you have to track, you know, you have to track data mm -hmm. for everything. Horse usage, like which dewormer you're using, behaviors of horses, um, tracking data on all your participants, tracking data on the equipment used. So I would say the biggest change is we spend way more hours in the office. However, it's making our, our operation run a lot more smoothly. And we're really trying to set up TR for Heart and Soul for, for success for generations to come. That was one kind of heart to heart I had with my husband, even when I started working for the college more, um, we were pouring everything we had into TR for Heart and Soul prior to that. But if something happened to us, my husband or I, then then what happens to it? We had to really make a shift to make sure that it could be sustainable and um, it could still make an impact if something happens to one of us for years to come. And that's right. And nobody wants to think about that stuff. And I'll be honest, I mean, this podcast was really put together for those people who, who have centers or started centers or who are interested in learning more. And I feel like we're all so passionate about like you said, that mom on the porch swing. I mean, we want to make an impact. We want to show people the power of the horses to, to heal. And we're so passionate about that, but how many people do you know that are like, I want to get into this business because I love to do paperwork, <laughs> right? We don't right. want to, nobody wants to do it, but it's the key to sustainability. And I think that was, you know, I had talked with Edie some too, and that was kind of a hard jump to make was hiring some more staff or, you know, filling, finding a board that could fill some of those holes and do some of those things that we don't love to do, but can fill some of those gaps so that we can continue to be sustainable. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the toughest. It is the toughest part because if it was my way, I would be in the arena from like seven to seven and not write anything down and just be out there like soaking up every minute with every kid and every parent. But unfortunately, that's just not how the business side works. That's right. Do you guys, are you guys a cash-based service then? Yes, we are. Um, however, there's a lot of waivers and um, other organizations. Yeah, and other organizations that do support. Um, I don't know if in Nebraska, y'all have the Great American Bike Race. Yeah, but it's a big foundation. Okay, yeah, it's a big foundation here, and they, as long they support a lot of our writers that do have cerebral palsy. Um, there's an autism waiver in in North Dakota that supports um, youth and adults on the autism spectrum, and yeah, other than that, it's mostly cash based. But we do we try to scholarship. Um, any rider that needs it, we're fundraising a lot. And I think that's really just the key to this industry is you have to, you have to be accountable to your community, like figure out what the community needs and be able to meet those needs. Like recently we just did a reading program and we didn't know what that would look like. And we partnered with the University of Mary um, education students and 
there's a lot of those kiddos that we're seeing that kind of have been falling through the cracks. They don't qualify for adaptive services maybe, but they, they're not um, able to keep up with their peers. So that's been, that's played a really important role in our community is trying to meet the needs of the kiddos and the adults that fall through the cracks. Also post COVID, we only, prior to 2020, we had only been seeing maybe four or five adults a week um, that had a disability. But after COVID, um, people felt safer because that summer we were outside and, um, you know, there's a big space, we're on 40 acre ranch. We started seeing a lot more adults that had disabilities and just really serving the, those um, clientele groups that really need your service. Right. So keeping the doors open, I guess. Yeah. And meeting the community need and putting yourself out there for those things helps the community stay more involved too. And it's kind of a circle, right? They support you, you support them. And it's kind of a big, big, happy family. It, yeah, it sure is. And we had to have those discussions, you know, some of those tougher discussions at a, as a board, because that first year, uh, we obviously didn't get out of the red. Like that was, that was pretty obvious. And we did a lot of um, pro bono work, like, and we still do. We took our ponies to the library for reading or, you know, we attended autism events or, you know, we did this and that but that really, really showed the community that like, we're here to stay. We want to support you. We appreciate everything that you do for us. So uh, we'll support you and you'll support us. And it's just really been a good working relationship since then. What kinds of big fundraiser things do you do in conjunction with your community? Uh, yeah. So our, our biggest fundraiser is the Blue Jean Black Tie Affair. We have that in November. It's generally the weekend before Thanksgiving. So it's kind of a gala where we cowboys and, and business minded people can come together. So we have a social and we have a nice catered dinner. We rent a, a venue that's actually a barn, but it's a, like a wedding venue. And we have then an auction and we select four riders that kind of Four participants that get to tell their story and then we have an auction and then last year was really really cool um our donors not only supported tr for heart and soul but they also every writer was there somebody privately came up and said i want to pay for your sessions for the whole year so oh. they not only supported our organization as a whole they really saw the impact that writing and um tr for heart and soul had on their life and they wanted to make sure that you know, they could do this. They so that's our biggest. Yeah, absolutely. That's our biggest fundraiser. Um, we do also do like a horse show in the spring. And every year on the Kentucky Derby, we do a co-fundraiser with the Bismarck Cancer Center. We have been doing programming for the Bismarck Cancer Center for about three years. And we have been able to fundraise to pay for um, all of their services between the Cancer Center and TR for Heart and Soul, we call it the Downtown Derby. So we watch the Kentucky Derby and then we have a, a racing software that we rent and that pays for scholarships for any family dealing with cancer. Um, 
also when the pro rodeo comes to town, we are invited to have a booth and we um, take donations there and we do a fun, a 50, 50 cash fundraiser. Mm -hmm. That is one of our best fundraisers. And other than that, we just, I think that's pretty much it. We do around usually around every holiday, Christmas, Easter, yeah. Halloween, we do a community event. Um, we used to call them fundraisers, but now we've realized that we really don't generate that many funds. However, it's a great opportunity for people that maybe um, don't qualify for our services or that we can't serve everybody, that anybody in the community can bring their family out and we have activities and they just have a great day, you know, at the farm in a cost-friendly environment. Yeah, and that raises awareness. I think that's an important thing to note too. Even if you're not generating a ton of funds, you're building awareness that you guys are there and this is what you do. And, and that generates supporters down the road. Right, right, yeah. And it's been so nice just maybe in the last year, year and a half that, you know, with social media platforms, we'll see other people raising funds for like their birthday or whatever. And it, mm -hmm. it really does help. Like every hundred dollars really does help. We don't take anything for granted. You know, we are appreciative of every like bottle of fly spray that's donated every $20 bill. Like we are so appreciative. And I think our donors know that. Mm -hmm. Every bit counts. Absolutely. Well, we're getting a little close to time here, so let's wrap up. Um, anything you want to say to our listeners who may be thinking about starting their own center or they're scared or they think, you know, I'll never have this giant center or, you know, they that feel hesitant to start? Yeah, I think um, definitely follow your dreams. If you have the right people in your circle, you know, anything is possible. I know that sounds a little cliche, but you don't need, you don't need a whole lot to start, like make a safe environment and hold yourself accountable and, you know, stay within your means. If you know that you can only serve for, when we started our pilot program, we knew we could only serve four until we made some real changes. And, you know, you we just had to fight for what we wanted and get the right people in our corner. Mm -hmm. Yep. With the most, with the best support system, I truly believe you can do anything. It's not yeah. cliche. So <laughs> we, we were told like, at, I bet at least five or six people told us like, you know, that's been tried here. It just really doesn't work in North Dakota. We don't have big donors. The weather's too cold or too hot. And but if there's a will, there's a way, I guess. You got it. All right, Katie. So my last thank question. Thank you so much. Hold on. I'm not letting you go yet. We have a last question. I ask all of my guests. Um, last year, we had one on season one. Season two, the new question that I ask everybody is, what is your why? Why do you keep doing this? Even on the hard days, on the good days, why do you keep doing what you do? You know, if you would have asked me that three years ago, I would have said it's for the kids. You know, it's always for the kids. I love kids. I have a degree in child development, but now um, it's also for that mom that's crying on the porch swing. Being a mom, 
I realized how important it is to see your kiddo succeed. And sometimes for families that have all kinds of abilities, that doesn't come easily. So now I do it for the mom that's crying on the porch swing. Beautiful. I think so many of us can relate to that. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today. You're a busy lady and I'm, I'm thankful for your time and don't be a stranger. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Have a great week. You too. Bye-bye. As a side note, I also wanted to mention that if Katie's story was especially impactful for you or you feel overwhelmed in some area of Center Startup, don't forget about the Hetra Mentorship. Our CEO, Edie, mentored Katie when she was going through the weeds of the Center Startup, and we would love to save you some of that stress too. So you get started with a completely free initial consultation, and then you build a custom package from there. And that can include everything from email communication, phone calls, or even on-site mentorship like Katie did. So reach out to us if you're interested at the link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening to another episode. Until the next one launches, stay connected to our community by joining the Not Just a Pony Ride Facebook group. There, we share exclusive educational content, answer your questions, and review new and exciting developments for the EAS community. Don't forget, if you have suggestions for future episode topics or a lead on a great guest that you think our audience would enjoy, click on the link in the show notes or visit us at hetrauniversity.org. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Writing Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the EAS community. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by visiting us online at hetra.org. Again, I can't thank you all enough for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.